Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph begins a new message entitled, An Unfolding Masterpiece. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. I call this message an unfolding masterpiece. And as I was trying to prepare the message, I, I'm into gimmicks lately. I'm into trying to, you know, put things in your mind, like my basket that I had up here a few weeks ago, and stuff that will kind of just help stick the message in your mind. And I I'm really frustrated. I'm I'm in the process of moving. We've bought a condominium. We've sold our house. We think we have. We haven't closed on it yet. We got everything in boxes to to show the house. You know, you put it all in the garage and and make the house look really beautiful. And and so I I have a painting that I started. And I, I actually surprised myself when I did this. It was before Carl was born, probably about 35 years ago. I started a painting of a mill pond and an old uh, mill, you know, with the, with the turning water wheel and, and all of that. And it came out pretty darn good, but it's about two-thirds finished. And so it fits perfectly with an unfolding masterpiece. It's my only painting in my life. And uh, I was going to try and, uh, it, you know, put, a, put it on the screen behind you and, and behind me and let you all see my unfolding masterpiece. And I, I couldn't find it. And, and then I, I went to, uh, to thinking about the cars that I, I used to do because for a little while I used to have this insecurity that I was involved with all these businessmen in a church and I always wondered could I run a business and run it profitably and I've always liked to tinker with cars and I got pretty darn good at auto body. In fact, I, I was doing, eventually I was working on people's Porsches and Mercedes and I even once got to strip an XKE of everything, every bit of rubber, every window, everything out of it and paint it as if it was painted from the factory. That's what I did to cars. So I, I, I was into that and I, I kind of had this little business and I was pastoring a church bigger than this one at the same time. And uh, I had this one Porsche that I, I just, it was a New Hampshire car filled with rust. And when I was done with it, it was a masterpiece. And I, I, with my own hands, I rebuilt everything but the transmission in that car. And so I was thinking, well, I'll bring a picture of that. And again, I, I couldn't find it. And, and then I got to thinking about, well, my, my greatest masterpiece, there's two of them. And I've, I've, I've titled them. I've named them. One is named Carl and the other's name is Kelly. And so I thought I would bring a picture of my, of one of my masterpieces today. And, uh, this happens to have the car thing in it. That's a, a 1957 Chevrolet Nomad in perfect condition. It's probably worth about $200,000 today. Unfortunately, it wasn't mine. Uh, the, the time setters are popping this luau this afternoon and, and it's a kick. And if you didn't buy a ticket already, uh, eat your heart out because I got one and you don't. But uh, these guys know how to throw a party. And they had thrown a sock hop. We had a 50s night back at Ben Parker School when we were uh, still over there. And uh, they went so far as they brought a hot rod club. I think it's Trevor Fergie's dad and his friends. And we had a car show 
in the midst of our thing. So here's Ben Parker campus with these incredibly beautiful cars all over. Tom and Ludy Landeza in there just cutting a rug. I just couldn't believe the dancing ability of some of the people in our church. And it's just a, a, a fun, fun time. And, and there's me and my Richie Cunningham outfit. You, you do remember happy days, right? And uh, Carl. And this is that time of life when for Carl... Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to find yourself as a man. You're trying to find yourself as who you are distinct from your parents. And that often creates a climate of rebellion or semi-rebellion. You know, it's, it, was, it was always amazing to me. I, I don't know what kind of a punk I was when I was growing up, but it was always amazing to me. It seemed that my kids thought, that my goal in life was to control them for all the rest of their life. And, uh, and you know, you, you got to have restrictions, you got to have boundaries, you got to have curfews, you got to have stuff like that. And, and it, it appears to them, and I think legitimately so, like these people are just trying to run my show forever and I want out of here. And the truth is, you're just trying to get them, you know, healthy enough and strong enough so you can get them out of here. And, but but see, they as as a parent, your children are your masterpiece. It's the best thing you'll ever do is raise your children, and it's it's the thing that so many people today put down fourth, fifth, sixth on their list. You know, I talk to people who who, who have almost no communication with their children. Something's wrong there. And as as we invest our lives in that person, now here's the deal: is that that young person particularly in those adolescent years, is your unfolding masterpiece. But that person has then the choice of how well this thing is going to turn out. I mean, there's a limit to how much I can invest because of my humanness and my frailty and, and my faultiness. But on the other hand of it, on the receiving end, there's, there's that person who has to choose, I'm going to make the best of this. I'm going to accept the investment that's being made in me and I'm going to go with the flow. I'm willing to learn what my parents are trying to teach me. I'm, I'm willing to accept this. And I'm willing to allow it to take hold in my life so that I can become all of the person that I want to be. And all of this brings me to Ephesians chapter 2, where I want to start out this morning talking about an unfolding masterpiece. And I, I want you to think about what it's like. You know, we were watching television last night. Uh, several babies that had to be moved from hospitals, and they didn't lose a one. One hospital had 29 babies, infants, most of them preemies, that they had to move because of, of the flooding and, and the hurricane. Another hospital had several, and they did it with great success. But when a baby comes out of, uh, of its mother's womb, it comes out covered in, in stinky, smelly, gunky stuff. And then when a baby is, lives its first few years of its life, it's kind of good for nothing. I mean, have, you, have you ever figured that? I mean, a, a, a baby is nothing more than an eating, sleeping, pooping machine. When I was a, a, trying to learn how to be a pastor, a, a guy that I worked with, he, he mentored me, a man named Art Miller. And he, he, he taught me, he said, now whenever you see somebody with a newborn baby, here's what I want you to learn to say. Say, Oh my, that's a real baby, or that's a real boy, or that's all girl. He goes, because you don't want to comment on how they look, 
because they usually tend to look kind of ugly and squinty-faced and pointy-headed. And you don't want to say, my, what an ugly baby you have. He goes, on the other hand, you don't want to get out there and say, oh, what a beautiful child. And the parent full well knows this little kid looks like, you know, a truck ran over it. And, 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 and you're sitting there and you go, oh, how beautiful. He goes, just say, that's a real boy or that's a real girl. But when you stop and think about it, you know, you, you, you know we, we almost force the issue of getting something out of the relationship. I can remember I brought my son home from the hospital. This is why he's so weird today. Is, is, uh, we, we, we were evacuated. There had been an earthquake and we couldn't go back into our apartment. And, and so we were, went and had to stay with somebody in downtown Los Angeles. And I just wanted the kid to respond to me. I wanted him to do something. I would lay there on the bed next to him for hours looking at him. I, I made up a deal. And you got to think about this. Boy, I, I, I determined I'm going to spend an hour a day with this child for the rest of my life. And that's why he's living at home. And I didn't always make it. But you know what? Setting the standard caused me to spend a lot more time with him than if I hadn't spent the standard. And I, I, I just laid there, and I started just doing this to his lip, just to make him cry. <laughs> I just want to make him say something to me, you know? Talk back here. But, but you know, it's, it, it, there's a time that it's all you. It's all your input, and there's not much coming back. Well, that's kind of the way it is with God and us. When, when, when he finds us in our sin, we're all covered all over with yuck. And then when we're born again, we have new life, well, there's not a whole lot coming out of us that's got any value to it at all. And the whole love deal is him loving us and us slowly learning what it means to love him back. And this brings me to verse 8 of Ephesians 2, where it says, God saved you by his special favor when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Like life is a gift from your parents, salvation is a gift from God. If you're writing notes, the word salvation means he rescued you. When God rescued you, when he rescued you from what? Your darkness, your sin, your vices, the self-destruction that's going on in your life. It says he did it by his special favor. The word in Greek is charis. And it's the word, we just actually take charis and, and mispronounce it and we get grace. That's, that's, charis is, is the Greek word that we make into grace, and we just literally got it there by, by moving it from one language into another and then mispronouncing it like we do lots of words. And as, as you look at, at charis, one of the problems with charis is that we have sort of dumbed it down in, in our Christian vocabulary. And we, we get half of it. We understand the kindness, the mercy side. I don't deserve God's kindness, God's love. That's grace in action. He loves me in spite of myself. But like we've dumbed it down. There's more to it. There's another side to Chris, and it's power. We're talking about kindness mixed with power. Kindness that's capable of doing something about its positive emotions. You know, it's one thing to, to get all sappy and, and feel sorry for people and this and that and the other thing. You know, the thing going on in Louisiana right now, it's another thing to write a check and put it in the mail and do something about it. You making sense here? I mean, you know, we, 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 we can just get all blathery about stuff 
And then it's, it's absolutely meaningless. But when you start to put some action behind it and something starts to happen, God has kindness toward you, but he also has power to go along with that kindness to deliver you from that bad habit that's destroying you or to change that employment situation or to bring that business in the front door that you're desperately praying for. To make change happen, God has it. And it's by God's caris that he rescued you. And it's nothing you did on your own other than to believe. You see, God gives us a picture. He calls it being born again. But in another place, he calls it adoption. And the picture is a, a, a child who's, who's born, abandoned by their parents, lives in an orphanage, and then is adopted, you could very easily see as born again. And God wants us to be born again based upon his kindness toward us and his ability to do something about that kindness and make our life into something good. This is a pretty good word, huh? Does this encourage you? Some of us forget some of this. Some of us forget that God's got power. Some of us forget that we didn't have to do something right or good or righteous or be religious or be nice or, or live a clean life to become a Christian. There's some of you sitting here this morning that you would like very much to have what the rest of us have in this room and the joy that we have, but you're sitting here feeling empty and guilty and shameful because there's some dirty, dark little secret in your heart. And you think that you're not good enough for God to make an investment in. But you need to remember, as an example, that babies poop their diapers all the time and their parents still love them. And God is willing to love you just exactly the way that you are. And you know what I like to tell people when you become a Christian? Don't even try to change. You just get to know God and get to know him intimately. And he'll do the changing that needs to be done in you. He'll mature you. He'll grow you. He'll deliver you. He'll get you beyond the stuff. Leave it on him. As soon as you and I get in the way when we start trying to make change in our life. Am I getting anywhere? This is a whole different sermon than I wanted to preach. So let's get back to where I'm trying to go. Look down to verse 10. It says, we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And then underline this, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has a plan for you. He has good things that he wants you to do. And you need to get busy figuring out what they are and doing them. See, we're not saved because we did good things or because we do good things, but we're saved so that we can do good things. Now, what are those good things? Well, what comes to mind immediately is uh, uh, what Rack's doing out there, uh, leading a little church in a community in Kalihi with a bunch of kids. Or the people on the, on the praise team this morning, or those people that are over there right now, uh, teaching our children in, in children's church or the folks who are ushering or, or who are doing a mini church or, or, or that you're praying with people at work in the marketplace. Good works that God wants you to do. But you know something? That's only part of it. We sell ourselves short so often. One of the problems that we have in American Christianity or perhaps just 21st century Christianity is we have in, almost entirely, completely compartmentalized our faith. A man named Francis Schaeffer 
wrote some really wonderful books a number of years ago. And, and uh, one of the things that he talked about is, is, the, is, the, is the tendency of Christians to sort of invent this upstairs in our mind. It's like we're living in a spiritual house that's got an upstairs and a downstairs. And in the downstairs is this sort of dirty, filthy, sweaty, unethical, nitty-gritty, dog-eat-dog world that you live in all the time. And then upstairs is God and the angels and the Holy Spirit and peace and kindness and mercy and prayer and answered prayer and church. And it's sort of like we go upstairs every Sunday morning and visit God. And then we go back downstairs and tough it out. We go upstairs in the middle of the week when we go to mini church or to a power team or something we're doing. And then we go right back downstairs and just, just, just make the best of it we can in this tough, tough world and hope that somebody upstairs is listening to us. We go upstairs for a few minutes in the morning with a cup of coffee and our Bible in our hands and we have some peace with the Lord. And then we go back down in the dirty world downstairs. And, and, and what Francis Schaeffer would say to you is, that is a, an entire fiction. That's a fiction. There is no upstairs. It's all downstairs. You see, that's why Jesus came to us in this world. He came downstairs. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to be a comforter, to be a teacher, to be a counselor, to be a guide. All of those words that are used to be an advocate. So that we can live in this world that's all downstairs, knowing that God has come to us, is living in our hearts. The Bible says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you and I can live in the, in the single story world that we live in and that we can prevail. Am I getting anywhere with this? See, this compartmentalism thing, it just kills you. It just kills you. It turns some of us into hypocrites. We're wonderful Christians on Sunday, and on Monday we're out there just swearing like a pirate, acting like everybody else because we can't stand up to the peer pressure that's all around us. We need to understand we are the church on Monday. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's in us, and he's everywhere with us all the time. You know, some of the very things that we do that are positive things work against us. We brought my, our friend Solomon in on Tuesday night, I guess it was, and, and we had a, a, he preached, and then he prayed for people, and it was a wonderful time. And there's a man here who, who came to church that night with 48% blockage, one of the arteries in his heart. He was going to the hospital the next day. They're going to do an angiogram, and they're fully expecting that they were going to have to uh, do surgery on him that day. Solomon prayed for him. The next morning he went to the hospital. They came out and said, clean bill of health, go home. It's over. Isn't that wonderful? But I prayed for him before Solomon did. <laughs> and Rob McWilliams prayed for him after I prayed for him before Solomon prayed for him. So when did he get healed? We don't know. But see, we dare not make Salmat into the hot hands guy that we got to have fly all the way from Pakistan if somebody gets sick. We're all called to pray, and the Lord says, the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The scripture says, if two of us agree together about anything, 
then, then it'll happen. So that's a good thing. It says here that we're saved so we can do good things. But I want to show you some other good things that I think God has in mind for you that are covered in this verse. And so I'd like you to write next to the word good things. I'd like you to write this. Exodus 31, 1 to 5. And we're going to go there and look at Exodus 31, 1 to 5. And by the way, along the way, here's a couple of other verses. You might want to pop down and go look at them later. I was going to talk about them, but it preached too long. And just put them there in Ephesians and go look them up later. Uh, you know, cross-reference your Bible. Learn to write in your Bible. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that in Christ we've become a new creation and everything is passed away that's old and everything has become new. God gives you a brand new start when you come to Christ. And there's Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. You can look that up on your own. But in Exodus chapter 31, it talks about spirit-filled expertise. And this is what I want to talk to you about in light of the good things that God would like to do in your life and through your life. And, and I, I, I want to talk to you about the nitty-gritty, dirty world and some of the good things that God would like you to do. And this may come as a surprise to you. I don't know how many of you read the Old Testament, but I, I love the, New Te- the Old Testament. I hear people talk about, oh, it's like the God of the Old Testament. It's as though the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of today or the God of the New Testament. And, and you know, he's, God's a God of wrath in the Old Testament. Well, you know what I found out is, if, if you read it, and I read it all the time, I love the Old Testament, is I found out, if, if you play ball with God, he's going to bless you really good. That's the message of the Old Testament. And you see nations of people, and they screw up, and they turn their back on God. And then if they repent at all, he comes along and does wonderful things in their life. And I want wonderful things to happen in my life, so I like to read the Old Testament. But here's a part in the Old Testament that I sometimes find myself skipping over because it's actually just describing the building of the tabernacle, the place that they built so they could worship God, and, and, and it's how they constructed the thing. And it's just a whole bunch of, it would be like me getting up here and telling you the story of how we built this building. Now, there's some very inspiring stories about how God got us on the property, how he supplied the money, how he supplied the building permits and all that. But if I just got down to the construction of the wall... You'd probably check out real quick and go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, we're kind of in one of those chapters, in one of those spots, but there's something really interesting here. It says, the Lord also said to Moses, this is Exodus 31, verse 1. The Lord also said to Moses, look, I have chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. What are we talking about here? I filled him with the what? The Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. Now watch. And I've given him great wisdom. Now, there's a scripture, and I'm putting it on the screen, in Isaiah chapter 11, the first five verses. It describes the Holy Spirit, and it uses seven different descriptive adjectives to describe him. But one says, he is a spirit of wisdom. Okay, so this guy Bezalel is going to help build the temple and God has put his Holy Spirit on him, the spirit of wisdom, of intelligence, and of skill. 
The Holy Spirit comes to give you and me intelligence, wisdom, and skill. So what? We can do good things for God. But watch how, how this decompartmentalizes our faith as soon as you read the next few words. It says, He is able to create beautiful objects from gold, silver, and bronze. He's a metalsmith and a metallurgist. Because a metallurgist is a guy who knows what to do when you melt metal and make it do different things in the cooling process. And a metal smith is a guy who knows how to carve and bend and shape metal. So he's got those two skills. He is also skilled in cutting and setting gemstones. He's a jeweler. And in carving wood. He's a carpenter. He's a master at every craft. Now, just catch the play on words. He's a master at every craft. He's God's masterpiece. And in making him so skillful and so intelligent and so good, he became a master at every craft. 